1: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Welcome Kirk Herbstreit is on the six, phone. Here. So five, the podcast, this America. The yeah. Sports oh, Podcast so presented much, by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Thursday, December 8th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for what should be another fun episode of the Eratora Sports Podcast, a little bit of college football, and a little bit of college hoops on today's show. We're going to open more coaching carousel. How about this? Monday, the Louisville job opens. On Wednesday, Louisville's beloved son, Jeff Brom leaves Purdue to take the job. We discuss the Louisville Jeff Brom hire. I think it's great, not only for Louisville, but the ACC as a whole. What happened? How did it come together? And what does it mean again for Louisville, the ACC and everybody in between? From there, we take a quick break. We will talk about the guy we've been talking about a lot. Deion Sanders. Now I promise we're not going to talk Deion every single episode, but since I last recorded, his coaching staff is coming together. Uh, His portal strategy, I think is coming together. So we'll discuss all that and what that means. And then finally, we will wrap with some college hoops, a little bit of a quiet week on the college hoops front, strictly because most schools are in finals right now. And because of it, not a lot of games going on, but We had two really bummer, disappointing pieces of injury news on Wednesday. Trevin Brazil at Arkansas, Jalen Llewellyn at Michigan. And of course, we also had a couple undefeated top 15 teams fall. We will discuss all that. No other real major announcements here uh, on today's Thursday show. Just make sure. If you're not subscribed on youtube road to 16k baby we're at 15 6 16 15 almost 15 7 now let's get us to 16k and then of course also uh just make sure you subscribe wherever you get podcast apple spotify etc but that said though let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day i'll just tell you the coaching carousel it is mid-december it's really starting to slow down at this point But you just never know when something crazy is going to happen. And because of some craziness on Monday, the Louisville job opens and Jeff Brom, the Purdue head coach, Purdue coming off a Big Ten West title, is now the Louisville head coach. Listen, bottom line, we'll get into all the details in a minute. This is obviously great for Louisville. There was one guy they could hire, and this is exactly who they needed. So nothing but a net positive. But what I want to do is really kind of dive into it. Because sometimes, and I've said this many times before, but it's not always just the story that's interesting, but I think often it's the story behind the story, which is what makes this show fun. I think we do a good job of kind of taking you behind the curtain on how some of this stuff comes together. And I think when you talk about the Jeff Brom Louisville marriage, I think the story behind the story is almost more interesting than what happens now that he's officially the head coach. First of all, this all comes together together because of something that happened under the cloak of darkness on Sunday into Monday. Uh, It's funny. I, I, I think I've said this many times, or maybe it was Monday into Tuesday. I can't remember, but I rarely check social media first thing in the morning. You know, I love social media. It's a big part of what I do. But at the end of the day, rarely is there anything news shattering or earth shattering that actually is happening in real time when I check it. And so I bring it up. Because whatever day it was, I think it was Monday. It might have been Tuesday, but I think it was Monday. Um, it, it, you know, I, I did happen to go on social media first thing when I wake up uh, here on the West Coast, about 5 30 Eastern, 8, 830, uh, or 5, 515 Pacific, excuse me, 8, 830 Eastern. And what I see is just a shocker. Scott Satterfield, the head coach of Louisville, has left for the Cincinnati coaching job. Cincinnati, of course, Luke Fickle was the head coach there. He elects to leave. I don't have any sourcing on this. I tend to think that, one, they went after Brian Hartline, the head coach or the uh, uh, wide receivers coach at Ohio State. He said no. I tend to think they were hoping they could get Dion, and when they didn't, I think they kind of scrambled and ended up with Scott Satterfield. So on the one hand, just the Scott Satterfield news for a second, we didn't discuss it on, on Tuesday's show. On the one hand, I was both very surprised and very not surprised at all. One, why I was a little surprised is because it does feel like really just kind of a a parallel move by Scott Satterfield. Okay. Cincinnati, obviously look, it's a great program coming off a college football playoff appearance, but at the same time, as they transition to the big 12, it's kind of a weird deal where it's a good program, but it's always going to be number two in the state of Ohio behind Ohio state. It's in the big 12, which really isn't a natural geographic fit. And when you talk about Louisville's upside, what it could be, not what it is, but what it could be versus Cincinnati's upside, I don't really think there's that much of a difference. So on the one hand, it was very surprising. Scott Satterfield had never really been considered a candidate. So that part was surprising. But at the same time, if you know the relationship between Scott Satterfield and Louisville, you're not really surprised at all. I mean, you talk about a marriage that was on the rocks, okay? Louisville and Scott Satterfield, it was like going out to dinner with that couple that you know is about to get divorced, but they're not because the kids are still in high school and they want to get divorced, but they won't and they can't. And it's been a really weird deal since day one for a reason I'm about to discuss in a minute. But if you remember, because I remember talking about this, where the Louisville Scott Satterfield thing got really weird is pretty straightforward. Year one, Satterfield, to his credit, exceeds all expectations. I believe they went eight and five, made a bowl game this after a disappointing final season under Bobby Petrino. Okay, so that was year one. The problem was year two, things don't go quite as well. But Scott Satterfield, after a successful year one, after he got a raise, he decides, I'm going to go out and see what's kind of available out there on the coaching carousel. This was the 2020 season during COVID. This was the year where not many jobs opened. And if you remember, he interviewed for the South Carolina job. And I believe it was at a moment in time when he knew he wasn't going to get it, but his name had been linked to it. He does like this big post on social media where he, he basically says, uh, you know, guys, I'm coming back. It was almost like a like a college basketball player or college football player announcing they were returning to college for another year. Only it did not land that way as basically all the Louisville fans were like, screw you, dude. It's year two. You just got here. You're already uh, looking for a way out. And we're supposed to like pat you on the back and say thank you for coming back. Like, who do you think you are? And so the relationship was always weird. It hasn't helped that a lot of former players have come out and basically said they don't really like this guy. Yet despite it, the team kind of won at, at, at a reasonable enough clip where you couldn't really fire him. So again, it's this weird song and dance over really the last year and a half where the team is productive enough on the field. Again, Scott Satterfield, 8-5 uh, and five the first year, and then you look at, at at what he's done since. This past season, they went 7-5. and five. And not only did they go seven and five this past year, but at one point they were actually like six and three, like like they had a four game win streak at one point this season and were playing really well. And so I bring it up because yes, it was weird. Yes, there was moments in time where it didn't look like it was going to work, but he was winning enough where he wasn't going to be fired, but he knew the fan base didn't really want him there. They didn't really support him. He bounces out to Cincinnati. I think it was good for Louisville. I think it was secretly what they wanted. They couldn't force him out too much money, too much buyout money, but he leaves on his own volition. I think behind the scenes, Louisville, not only the fans, but probably the administration was very happy. Of course, part of the reason, and I think this is worth discussing. Part of the reason why Scott Satterfield was never fully embraced at Louisville. It was all the other stuff. And this isn't going to be the part where I crush Louisville fans and criticize him. I think Louisville fans have been through enough. But I think part of the reason Scott Satterfield was, criticized, what was never really fully embraced was because when the job opened last time, Louisville fans wanted Jeff Brom and they didn't get him. And the fact that Scott Satterfield was never Jeff Brom, was never going to be Jeff Brom, always was held against him. And it didn't matter what he did. I don't think he was ever going to have the full support of the fan base. And so I bring it up because when the job opens, there's only one guy to get and Louisville got him. Jeff Brom is officially hired on Wednesday. Now the question for many of you who are not Louisville fans don't live in the state of Kentucky obviously Kentucky fans know the backstory a lot of you are probably wondering like like why is this such a big deal for Louisville well Jeff Brom is I guess he you know the analogy would be the Jim Harbaugh of Louisville the Scott Frost of Louisville I know Scott Frost didn't work out but Jeff Brom is basically the the chosen one of the Louisville football like like he he is essentially Louisville football royalty and I don't just mean Louisville football as in the the Cardinals football program. Uh, I'm talking about in the city of Louisville for people who don't know the background. His father was a longtime high school coach. His father played at Louisville. He played at Louisville. His two brothers played at Louisville. This feels like to me that scene in My Cousin Vinny where Mona, Mona Lisa Vito's like, yeah, my father's a mechanic. My, father, my father's father's a mechanic. My two brothers are a mechanic. My brother-in-law is a mechanic. Like, That is Jeff Brom with Louisville football. He is not only a former player, two brothers are former players. His dad is a former player. And as soon as he got onto the coaching scene at Western Kentucky and then at Purdue, it was always assumed like we have to get this guy. This is the guy. This is the only guy we want. And again, four or five years ago when Scott Satterfield was hired, Louisville fans really wanted him then. And I remember I think that was the first fall that we had started this show. I remember talking about it at the time. There was a 2-3 day period where he was really considering it. He ultimately decided to pass and when he decided to come back to Purdue, the question was would he ever come to Louisville? Well, the job opens up again and I'll be blunt, I think I think now was the time for Jeff Brom. Okay? I think one, you know, you did what you could at, at Purdue and I think this is an important part, right? Is that Purdue is coming off a Big 10 West Championship and a Big 10 conference championship game it was a game where they played about as well as they could in the first half and got absolutely steamrolled by Michigan in the second half and so when I look at Jeff Brom I think he's a really good coach but I think he kind of hit his ceiling um I think he kind of hit his ceiling at Purdue everything went right everything broke their way they had all the tiebreakers go their way and they still finished eight and four and won the Big Ten West and played for a big 10 championship. That was like the, the, those are the good days. Those are the glory days. Those are, they're going to do a a 25 year anniversary and bring back that team for winning the big 10 West. The bottom line is it's a tough job. And I think there's two things going against Purdue going forward where Jeff Brom had to seriously consider things. One, USC and UCLA are coming to the conference. It's only going to get tougher. And two, I think once they do, we're probably going to get rid of divisions in conferences. And so now you don't have the padding of the Big Ten West where you don't have to play Ohio State, Michigan, in this case, USC, Penn State. Part of the reason why Purdue went eight and four, made the Big Ten championship game, they didn't have to play Ohio State or Michigan this year. Like that was a huge scheduling advantage that may not be there. And so Jeff Brom, I think, looked around and said, this is probably as good as it gets. Um, I've recruited as well as I can at Purdue. It's not going to get better. And realistically, if it doesn't get better, at some point it's going to come full circle and I'm either going to get fired or I'm going to hit a dead end in this job. So the timing made sense. The job made sense. And now he's headed to Louisville. And so in terms of the Louisville stuff, a couple of things stand out. First off, just a huge win for Louisville. Okay, And we all know kind of the Louisville athletics dynamic right now. You don't need me to tell you. But it has obviously been just a crazy, crazy, crazy couple of years for that athletic department. You don't need me to relitigate and rediscuss everything that's gone on there. But it's just been tough. And so I think at the very least, he was the one guy that everybody wanted, the chosen son. And he is going to get universal support in terms of coming back to that school. Now, it's worth noting, Kenny Payne kind of got universal support for like the first six months. And now as I record Kenny Payne's like 0-7, 0-8, and and people want him out already. So that could be short-lived. But the bottom line is, it it was good because he was the one guy you could get that would unite everybody. That's what he is. That's what he is going to do. Um, And I think he's coming in at the right time where the Big Ten, he kind of peaked over there. But Louisville, I would argue, is somewhat underachieving. I mean, you can sit here and argue about, you know, what is the ceiling of this program versus that program? I think we all would agree that Louisville at its best is I I think it's it's pretty understandable that it's a better it's a better like football program than Purdue. Right. I mean, you look at Bobby Petrino. I know Bobby Petrino is kind of a punching bag, but in the Big East days, Bobby Petrino won the conference in the Big East days Um, in the even in the ACC days. Remember, he had multiple nine win seasons, his first four years in his return to Louisville. Nine and four, eight and five, nine and four, eight and five. I think some people thought he underachieved during that time frame. So the Louisville program could and will and should be better than it's been, and especially in the current state of the ACC. This was one thing I was thinking about. If you think about ACC football right now, and I know you probably haven't thought much about it pretty much at any point, outside of Clemson, which I don't think is as operating at the level it was even eighteen months ago, two years ago and florida state appears to be ascending. Like who else in that conference are you really worried about? And so from the Louisville perspective, it's a big win for Louisville and it makes sense for Jeff Brom because there are a lot of wins to be had in the in the ACC in football right now. Boston College is not very good. Uh, Wake Forest is up and down. Do we really think they're as good as they've been the last few years? Pitt is whatever. Georgia Tech is whatever. Miami has not figured things out. Virginia Tech has definitively gone in the wrong direction. North Carolina, I think there's something really interesting going on there. As I record, their offensive coordinator just left. Some of their best players have entered the portal. Now, Drake may just announced that he will be returning, but it doesn't change the fact that there's something not right. So from the Louisville perspective, from the Jeff Brown perspective, It makes sense from the timing. And I think he can in the portal world and the NIL world, I think he can have success, which we'll talk about in a minute. I also think, by the way, this is a big win for the ACC, right? The ACC, I just kind of laid out the brands. What is Pitt right now? What is Virginia Tech right now? What is Miami right now? You get an established head coach that's leaving the Big Ten to come to your conference. This is a net positive. This is the first time that I think we've seen – in this post-Big Ten SEC world, in other words, the world where the Big Ten and the SEC are competing at a different level, that a a school from another conference went out and got a coach they wanted from one of their conferences. And I think this will be a really interesting dynamic to consider going forward. Let me explain why. I think when the uh, Big Ten signed their new TV contract and we saw the number 70-plus million for their schools, I think there was this kind of assumption of like, Well, it's over for everybody else. They're going to get the best coaches, the best players, the best NIL setups, the best assistant coaches, whatever. But I think what happened since then is because of the 12-team playoff, I think there's going to be a lot of coaches like Jeff Brom that sit there and say, should I stay at a second, third-tier school in the Big Ten or the SEC, or should I go somewhere that I can win at a higher level? Because if you're at Louisville, You you don't, you mean to tell me once every four years, you can't be better than Clemson and win that conference. Once every four years, you can't be better than Florida state. Even if Florida state gets going to Jeff Brahms case, I think he can. And I think that's a lot more appealing than trying to be better than Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, Wisconsin, Nebraska, USC, UCLA, all in the same year. And so it's a big win for the ACC because they got a coach, a good coach from a good conference that wanted to keep them that decided to move on. Finally, we'll just see what happens. You know, I mean, I, I I saw some some interesting kind of thoughts on the hire, and and I do think it's going to be interesting to see, like like what is Jeff Brom like in a place where I think the the playing field is a little flatter, right? Because it's one thing, like, like like I saw a lot of this. Well, I mean, he went seven and five and eight and four, and how good is he really? Well, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Purdue is not competing at the level of all of those elite Big Ten programs that I just mentioned don't have the same access to players, don't have the same access to resources, don't have the same history, don't have the same this, don't have the same that. So now, how is Jeff Brom going to handle himself at a place where it's really set up for him to win nine or 10 games every year? Now, is it going to happen next year? Probably not. But he's in a much better place and much better position. I think that's what's interesting. Obviously, the big losers with this move are Purdue, no doubt about it. It's going to be tough to find somebody to replace him. On the one hand, the program is in great shape on another, all the reasons that he left are all the reasons that it's going to be hard to find someone to replace him because of no divisions, because of USC and UCLA coming. Now it does help. You can probably pay six, $7 million a year if needed to the next head coach. Uh, and I'll be curious to see what it means for s- some other dynamics. You know, Kentucky has really largely owned that area in recruiting the state of Louisville. As I just said, Jeff Brom is a Louisville high school legend. His dad is a legendary high school coach, and I think it's going to be harder to recruit the city of Louisville, I think it's just going to be harder to recruit that general region. Jeff Brom had a ton of success in Indianapolis. Remember, Rondale Moore from the Indianapolis area, I believe. I know that, uh, what's his name? David Bell was an Indianapolis kid, and so with that offense, I think it's just going to be fascinating, and again, I've said it a million times, we live in the portal world, you can upgrade quickly. He can get quarterbacks in quickly, skill position guys in quickly. It is going to be fascinating. So we will see. But Jeff Braum is the head coach at Louisville. I think this is huge for, for, for the ACC. I think it's huge for Louisville. This was a top 10 passing offense basically every year that he was at Purdue. And I could see this thing flipping pretty quick. I right, so I want to do, I want to take a quick break. Speaking of flipping things quick, Deion Sanders, my man, is back in the news This guy has hired an offensive coordinator. He's crushing, not crushing, but he's being very aggressive in the portal. He's being very aggressive in the high school scene. I think this is coming together. I think under the surface, there are some very interesting things going on. Again, we're not going to discuss Dion every episode, but we will here. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, I've told you all about them. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 50 years. One of the most credible, reputable, and well-established sportsbooks overseas. Well, they have come to the United States and made a major splash here stateside. Not only are they the presenting sponsor of Aaron Torres Media, but also... The Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, they do more for their betters than any sports book out there. Okay. I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is hopping. Denver Broncos, VIP tailgates. We've sent listeners of this podcast to Denver Broncos, VIP tailgates. Listen, uh, listeners and, and and people have thrown out, Fred bettors have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games, on and on. Fred bar crawls in Arizona. I'm telling you, this company does more for its betters than anybody, and here is what they are doing for you today. You can bet 50 on any game, full game, NFL, college basketball, whatever you want to bet on. Bet 50, get 250 in free bets. That's courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook just for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook right now and take advantage of this offer. I am back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I do want to switch gears, and I do want to get back to the topic that just – it is the gift that keeps on giving in terms of content. I am, of course, talking about Deion Sanders, and I am, of course, talking about the Colorado Buffaloes. Okay, And what I promise you guys and girls, we are not going to talk Dion on every single episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast from now until the end of time, but as he provides compelling content for us to discuss – we are going to talk Colorado and we are going to talk about the program that is being built there because what he is doing in this NIL transfer portal world with the way that he does social media, I think it's going to be fascinating. Okay. And so what we know about Dion, a couple of different things, right? We, we've already kind of gone through a lot of kind of the, the, the cursory stuff, right? Monday show was the full reaction to Dion getting the job. We're all excited. We're all curious what it's going to look like. All of that good stuff. Tuesday. That's where it got interesting because we reacted to that video of him meeting with the team for the first time. You may remember that was where he said, "Uh, I'm bringing my own luggage. I'm bringing Louie. And if you're not good enough, you better get in the portal. Now we already discussed that. I'm not going to relitigate that whole conversation. Ultimately, I had no problem with it though. One, it's a conversation that every school in America is having with some players right now. Even established coaches at established places are telling some guys, look, you're really probably just not good enough to play here. You can stay if you want, but I encourage you to get into that portal to find a place that fits better for you. That is literally happening at every other school. And I think the other thing that we really didn't even barely hit on on the the Tuesday episode is this is the world of professionalized college sports that everybody wanted, right? For years, I have heard, pay players, make sure they get a cut, let them transfer whenever they want. Well, this is the flip side of that. The flip side of we're going to pay you and we're going to let you leave whenever you want, is that if you don't perform, we're going to boot you to the curb. And so this is what everybody wanted. This is the new world. This is the opposite. But again, we already discussed all of that on Monday and Tuesday. I don't think that we need to kind of, again, go over that for a third, fourth, fifth time. Instead, what I want to do is really focus on what has happened since we recorded Tuesday's episode of the Aaron Torres Pod Because I do think there have been some really interesting developments at Colorado in terms of the coaching staff, in terms of recruiting, and in terms of what the team could look like once they take the field next year, right? Monday and Tuesday is the reaction to the hiring itself. Now we're starting to get a feel for what it could look like when those Buffaloes run through the tunnel with Ralphie in the fall of 2023. And so I want to get you caught up on what has happened at Colorado this week. But let me start by saying this, if this all clicks the way that I think it can, if this all comes together in terms of recruiting the coaching staff and style of play the way that I believe it might over the next couple months, I think we're going to see a massive change of Colorado. And I think they are going to be fascinating going forward. Not saying they're going to win a national championship next year. They're going to be really good. And I can tell you this, they're going to be really entertaining. And so what has happened since we last recorded? You're probably sitting there wondering. Well, a couple things. First of all, and this was a major coup. It really broke, I think, late Tuesday into when, or late Monday into Tuesday as the, the episode was, was publishing on Tuesday. Deion hass is offensive coordinator, and it is a very interesting hire as Sean Lewis, the previous, he was the head coach at Kent State. Remember, Kent State had a brutal schedule this year. They played at Georgia, at Oklahoma, at Washington early in the season. Well, that guy is now leaving a sitting head coaching job to come be Deion Sanders' offensive coordinator at Colorado. Why is that interesting? It's because Kent has put together, Kent State, one of the most dynamic offenses in college football over the last couple of years. This guy comes from kind of that Baylor-Art Briles coaching tree, tempo, 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 tempo speed, 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 athleticism in space. And two seasons ago in the 2020 COVID season, Kent State averaged almost 50 points per game, as in 5-0, as in David Robinson, the Admiral. I'm not talking about 1-5 Tim Tebow. I'm talking about 5-0 David Robinson, 50 points per game, 33 in 2021. This year, they dealt with some injuries, and they, they obviously played a brutal schedule. But this offense is going to be fun, and this offense is going to be explosive, especially if Dion brings in the dudes that I think he's about to. Now, the question is, who are those dudes? Well, first of all, we already kind of know some of the the specifics about what Deion's first roster is going to look like. I think we know who his quarterback is going to be because he said at, at his opening press conference, there's your quarterback right there. That's Shador Sanders. That is his son. That is the kid who played for him at Jackson State. And we've talked about it quite a bit on this show. But the bottom line is, look, Shador Sanders, I'll say this. I don't claim to be an NFL draft expert, but NFL draft people were saying even before Deion Sanders took this job, that Shador is an NFL draft prospect. And so I don't claim to know if he's good enough and where does he fit. And is he, you know, behind Caleb Williams as QB number two coming into next year as far as the draft is concerned? That I don't know. What I do know is based on that alone, he's probably better than anybody Colorado had. And he was very good at the FCS level this year, completed 70% of his passes, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions. That kid should step into the Pac 12. And have an immediate impact. I think what we also kind of know at this point, although it's not totally official for obvious reasons. I think it's pretty clear that Travis Hunter, the number one high school player in America, is coming with Dion to Colorado. Now, as I recorded the Monday reaction show, I think this was very much up in the air. But after that, that video of Travis Hunter, I think a lot of you have probably seen it. But there was kind of a viral video of Travis Hunter reacting to the viral video of Deion Sanders uh, talking to his players for the first time. The, the 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 meeting where he said, I'm bringing my own luggage, I'm bringing Louie. Well, there's a video of Travis Hunter, right? So it's kind of meta. Him, a video. We all watched a video of Travis Hunter watching a video of Deion Sanders. But in that video, Travis Hunter says, coach, I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't let those players push you around. We ain't putting up with that when I get there. The exact quote, I want to make sure I look it up and make sure I get it correct. But the exact quote that Travis Hunter said when that happened was, I'm coming coach, you won't be having that next year, them boys better get right. That does not sound like a kid that is going to enter the portal and kind of weigh his options. That sounds like a kid that's ready to join Deion Sanders at Colorado and ready to lead that locker room. Travis Hunter, obviously a shutdown corner. Travis Hunter also, it's worth noting, got a few touches on offense this year at Jackson State. And so I want to get to everything else Deion has done in recruiting over the course of this week. But at the very least, just think about what I just said. If at the minimum, Deion Sanders brings with him Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter, he just brought an NFL caliber quarterback to Colorado. And he just bought bought a brought a future potential first round NFL corner to Colorado as well. I can tell you this: within about the snap of a finger, Deion Sanders just added the best offensive prospect on uh, uh, you know on Colorado's roster and the best defensive prospect as well. That's assuming Travis Hunter comes, which I think he will. The thing is, though, Deion Sanders ain't done, baby. First of all, they got they've already gotten two commitments since Deion took over. One was a kid named Jordan Hall, six foot eight offensive tackle, who was actually committed to Dion at Jackson State. Again, not a recruiting guru. The story on him is that he's a little bit of a developmental prospect, but basically, he didn't really play football in high school until late in his career. And that really, he was like an FBS, you know, Power Five type prospect but he's a little rough around the edges. Dion believes in him and believes he's, he's capable. The quote from Jordan hall after he committed was, yeah, I'm that Louie. I'm one of those guys that's coming. So that is big. And then on Tuesday afternoon, we actually got a little piece or Wednesday afternoon. We got a little piece of information as Anthony Robinson, a six foot three corner who had been, uh, you know, he he had taken visits to Tennessee and Miami over the course of the winter, uh, a Juco all American, cornerback he is coming as well so two commitments so far one is a juco all-american cornerback the other a developmental tackle and again i'm telling you just based on what we know the roster is already being upgraded superstar quarterback potentially two elite corners a, a cornerstone offensive tackle in the future but what's especially interesting to me is all of the other little stuff that's starting to percolate in the portal and in high school recruiting that I think is worth keeping an eye on. First off, in terms of the portal, I'll tell you, I've told you before, we are keeping a very close eye on the portal at AaronTorresOnline.com. And I've noticed that Colorado has one thing in mind in terms of who they're offering, and I think they're going to get some of these kids. To quote whatever movie it is, they got a need for speed because they are offering basically every elite wide receiver in the portal. I talked about Jimmy Horn the other day, star wide receiver from South Florida. He was actually, the reports were that Penn State was out to a heavy lead on Jimmy Horn. Now he wants to visit Colorado. You have the potential to, to, I don't want to say flip, because he never really committed to Penn State. But if this is a kid that was good enough for Penn State, he has an offer from Texas A&M as well. You get him at Colorado, that's a difference maker that you have right away. On top of that, I thought this was very interesting. Dorian Singer, the leading receiver in the Pac-12 last year at Arizona. He has entered the portal. He has heard from most major programs, including Oregon, Oklahoma, a a bunch of others. He's got a Colorado offer. And Tyrese Chambers, a burner who played at Florida International, another guy with Power 5 offers, I think in Mississippi State's one, Maryland, schools like that. He has a Colorado offer. So I don't mean to pigeonhole Deion Sanders, but he appears to have a type. If you are fast, athletic, and can make plays in space, Deion Sanders wants you. It's like Uncle Sam, right? I need you in Colorado. And then finally, this is the impact that Deion Sanders is having is all of the other little things. One, I saw that Trey Sanders, a transfer from Alabama, a running back that played at Alabama, no relation to Deion Sanders, literally tweeted out, Unc, come get me. In other words, Uncle, Uncle Deion, Uncle Sanders, come get me. I want to come play for you. Now, is he literally going to play for him? We don't know. But you add a running back from Alabama, I think Deion Sanders can find a way to use him. Same with Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator. Another interesting note, Katron Evans, this is an interesting one. He committed to Jackson State two years ago. At the time, He was the highest-rated player to ever commit to Jackson State. Now, he was eventually surpassed by Travis Hunter. He is in the portal, and the rumblings are that he will go to Colorado. Did not play a huge role this past season at Jackson State, but was really good as a true freshman two years ago. And then this is interesting. Remember, it was right around this time last year that Deion Sanders flipped Travis Hunter, the high school superstar from Florida State, to Jackson State. They're starting to be some rumblings. Now, I'm not saying anything's going to happen. Not, I'm not. Don't quote me on this. I'm just telling you what's happening behind the scene. Caden Proctor, remember that name. He is the number one offensive tackle in high school football. He's from Iowa over the summer, committed to Iowa over Alabama. Well, there are some rumblings, just some rumblings that maybe Caden Proctor would be a flip candidate at Colorado. Now, Colorado, he did tweet out the other day, has offered him. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. A lot of kids get offered a lot of scholarships. But what's interesting is if you follow the Colorado coaching staff, there's little things about on the road, got to go find us this, got to go find us that. And there's been a few rumblings about Caden Proctor. And I think more importantly, this feels like a kid that is flippable, right? Like if you're... I don't know, a wide receiver committed to Tennessee or to Texas, or you're a quarterback committed to Alabama. I don't know that those are the kind of kids that you're going to flip. You get a defensive end from Georgia that's committed to Georgia, you're probably not getting him to flip. But Iowa, with all the negative press, with everything that has gone on there, could you get that kid? Could you say to him, do you want to go be part of that boring, slow-paced offense? you want to come out here, have some fun? And what's interesting about that kid specifically, he's from the state of Iowa. So mom and dad could come see him play. It's not a crazy long drive. I don't think it's particularly close, but it's the same region of the country. But there are just enough rumblings to keep your eye on that. Caden Proctor, the top offensive tackle in high school football. But I am telling you, this roster is coming together. The portal just opened on Monday. I just guarantee you, something interesting is going to ha- Interesting things are happening at Colorado, thanks to Deion Sanders, thanks to Coach Prime, and I think the best is yet to come. All right, so what I'm going to do, take a quick break, come back. Do want to talk a little bit of college hoops. Unfortunately, some injury news in college hoops, but also some stuff that's happened on the court. We're going to take a quick break, talk some college hoops. We will be right back. It is Ryan here, and I have a question
0: for you. What do you do when you win? More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back Bracket Fanatics, the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. By now, I've told you all about Bracket Fanatics. I have worked with Bracket Fanatics multiple times for the NCAA tournament. This year, they decided to come to the NFL space, created a Pick'em Challenge, and they are taking care of listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you want to get involved, here's what you got to do. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Okay, BracketFanatics.com, just the way it sounds. Click the Join Bracket tab. Once you join Bracket, the Bracket name that you want to enter is Torres. Question you might be asking yourself, why do I want to enter it? Well, it's easy because Bracket Fanatics is taking care of you. Bracket Fanatics is giving out $100 weekly winners. Every single week, you log in, BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket name Torres. Every single week, all you got to do, pick every single game, and the person who has the most wins in any week, Gets $100 cash courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. Last week it was KB22. I actually spoke to KB22 over the weekend. Congrats to KB22. He won week 12. We will announce week 13 later this week. But you're probably sitting there saying to yourself, what else, Torres? Is there more? Absolutely there is because Bracket Fanatics is actually giving out a $1,000 season-long cash prize. A $1,000 season-long cash prize Bracket Fanatics. So again, BracketFanatics.com join bracket bracket name torres hundred dollar weekly winners a thousand dollar season long cash prize now obviously it is week 13 it's getting late in the year but it's not too late to sign up you think you can make up some ground go ahead and do it bracket fanatics.com join bracket bracket name torres hundred dollar weekly winners thousand dollar season long cash prize
0: Plus,
1: all right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with a little bit of college hoops and a, a couple quick thoughts on college hoops in general. You know, one on the one hand, when with, with the college football regular season being done, I do think we're going to get a little heavier into the college hoops as we get closer to January, conference play, all that good stuff. Uh, So if you love college hoops, I mean, this is really the time where we start to ramp up coverage. Obviously, with college football, we'll have the National Signing Day, the portal stuff, all of that. But it is starting to be like legitimately college hoop season. So that's the good news. The bad news is that because it's the middle of December and it's finals week at basically every campus across the country, it's really kind of a quiet time on the college hoops calendar. Since the weekend, outside of two games at the Madison Square Garden, uh, uh, the the Jimmy V and then UConn played Florida on Wednesday night, there's just not a lot going on on the College Hoops calendar. What I do want to do, though, is still get you caught up on everything that happened, share some quick thoughts, and get out of here. And unfortunately, I I do want to start with a little bit of disappointing injury news because really the biggest news in college basketball since I last recorded on Tuesday comes on the injury front as not one but two really important players went down with season ending injuries. The first one uh Trevin Brazil at Arkansas, okay? And so Trevin Brazil, uh, you know, I don't know if if household name is the right way to put it, but he really became kind of a, a a YouTube darling, a social media darling. I saw him being talked about on all the major shows on ESPN and Fox Sports and stuff because of that vicious dunk that he put down a few weeks back for Arkansas early in the season. Six eleven transfer, and he had been awesome early in the season. You don't you see the stats, and it doesn't really like look like he's been this incredible player but he's averaging just under 12 12 and a half points about seven rebounds per game but losing him for arkansas is just crushing because even though the stats don't blow you off the page i think he's one of the most physically gifted players in all of college basketball and he is a guy that that you know has shown flashes that he can be the guy uh depending on what you need and 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 and, and you know kind of what you just need on any given night I mean, this was a guy that took over the San Diego State game in Maui, finished that game with 20 points and nine boards, had another 20-point game over the weekend against San Jose State, 17 points, six boards against Creighton in Maui. So this was, you know, statistically he wasn't Arkansas's best player, but he was as important to that team as anyone could possibly be. And so, first of all, it's just disappointing because this kid is really – I think everything kind of right about the transfer portal, right? Like, like this is the time of year where everyone criticizes the portal and there's too many kids going in and some people don't have opportunities. I think this kid is the exact opposite. He was a kid that was playing at Missouri last year, really never got a shot. The previous coaching staff, I don't know if they didn't trust him or didn't know how to use him, but he's kind of toiling away on the bench. He has a couple good games late in the season, hits the portal and you start to realize what his potential is. Arkansas, Kentucky, a number of schools reach out. He chooses Arkansas, and he really shows early on how good he can be. Again, multiple 20-point games, took over the San Diego State game, was great against Creighton despite fouling out. It's just such a disappointment for that kid that he is not going to be able to play the rest of the season. Now, I don't want to use an injury as a silver lining, but what I would also say is, look, the bottom line with this injury, though, Arkansas is probably one of the few teams in college basketball that could survive an injury like this. And so that's the silver lining. You never want to see a player go out, especially a player of this kid's talent. But it's funny because when I saw the injury, I thought back to something that I was asked a lot during the off season. If you remember Arkansas had this great recruiting class coming in, number two in the country nationally, um, you know, number two in the country nationally, uh, a situation where they, they went in the portal and got a bunch of guys and all I kept getting asked all spring, all summer, Arkansas has 13 scholarship players that are all really good. How do you find time for all of them? And what I kept saying was, you just never know what's going to happen. Injuries happen. Stuff happens. Guys aren't as good as you expect. What, Whatever it is. And so I kept saying, it's all going to work itself out. And so for Arkansas, if there is any type of good news, it's that this is a kid this is why you recruit all these high caliber players. So if an injury like this happens, your season isn't torpedoed. And so for any Arkansas fan that thinks, you know, we were a national championship contender before, are we still now? I still think absolutely. I mean, first of all, and I said this to my buddy John Neighbors on his radio show on Wednesday, I said the the three best players on this team without Trevin Brazil are still Anthony Black, McDonald's all-American future lottery pick, Nick Smith, future lottery pick McDonald's All-American and Ricky Council, who has been phenomenal as a transfer for this team. And I said to John, I said, listen, if you gave any coach in America your, your your top three to start Anthony Black, Nick Smith and Ricky Council, you would take that every day. Uh, not, you know, 99.9% of college basketball coaches would take that as their top three. So that's a saving grace. You still got dudes on this team that can make plays. And also this is why you took a bunch of players in the front court over in the portal. The Mitchell twins came from Rhode Island and also Jalen Graham an all conference player from Arizona state came in, in the off season as well. And so you look at this roster right now, um, you know, specifically Uh, you know, Makai Mitchell, you know, of the two Mitchell twins, there's Makai Mitchell, who's playing a little bit more than his brother, Mikkel. But the other thing to consider is the fact that, that, you know, you do have Jalen Graham, an all-conference player who really hasn't found his groove yet at Arkansas. And maybe he never does. He played for Arizona State last year, averaged just under 10 points, five and a half, you know, five rebounds per game. Hasn't hit that groove yet. But listen, this is why you recruit great players. That's why you stack great players on top of great players. It's for situations like this. And when I see this injury, what I think is next man up. This is why you came to Arkansas. You came to compete. This is why coach Musk filled all 13 scholarships. You just never know what's going to happen. You have to be prepared for everything. And so now all this means is that somebody else is going to get an opportunity. Will they be as good as Trevin Brazil? I don't know if there's a big man in college basketball with the natural gifts that he has, But if there was one program that could probably sustain this injury, it's Arkansas. Feel bad for the kid. But again, this is why you recruit talent on top of talent on top of talent. It's why Duke does it. It's why Carolina does it. It's why Kentucky for years. John Calipari will bring in three point guards and say, figure it out. Best one plays. Let's go. Let's ball. And that's what Eric Musman has to do today. But you still feel terrible for Trevin Brazil. Not trying to make light of an injury, but trying to talk about it from the basketball perspective as well. There was a second injury that also broke actually really about the exact same time as the Trevin Brazil news. It was Jalen Llewellyn, the point guard from Michigan, another transfer. He came from Princeton, but he was an interesting story. He was a former top 100 recruit who got recruited by like Virginia and Purdue and those kind of schools coming out of high school, chooses to go to Princeton. Smart kid gets his degree from Princeton, then transfers up into the power five, power six in basketball after his Princeton career was over and after he got that diploma. Unfortunately, Kentucky game in London on Sunday goes down with a knee. You see it's weird. MRI comes back, and it is not good. He is also out for the year. Unfortunately for Michigan, too, this one feels like one I don't know that Michigan can recover from. Now He wasn't playing particularly well, but he was brought in to play point guard for this team. Um, They had a kid named Frankie Collins, who I thought played pretty well last season, who still elected to transfer out. He's playing really well at Arizona State right now. And so Michigan brings in this kid to be their point guard. He goes down, and I don't know if there is an obvious replacement for him on the roster. The likely guy that you're going to get as the starting point guard is a kid named Doug McDaniel, true freshman. Young kid, smaller kid. He's about 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, hasn't been asked to do much. Ended up playing about 15, 18 minutes against Kentucky. And I don't know that Michigan can recover. Michigan's already 5-3. and three. They lost to Kentucky the other day. They lost to Virginia in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And ironically, they lost to Arizona State, whereas as I just said, their original point guard, the guy they thought they were going to have, um, is now there. For Michigan, the unfortunate part, too, is it really doesn't get much easier for them. They open Big Ten play tonight at Minnesota. That's not good. They have North Carolina next weekend in a, a you know one of these MTE games. Now, I guess it's uh, two weeks from now, I should say, uh, in one of these kind of neutral site games that'll be in Charlotte. It'll be a lot of Tar Heel blue, and then it's go time in conference play. I'd be worried if I was Michigan. I don't blame Juwan Howard. You can't uh, you know you can't plan for your starting point guard to go down with injury. But just really really disappointing news for Michigan. Really quickly, uh, over the last couple of days, a couple big name results that I do want to discuss. Tuesday night, Jimmy V Classic um, was in, in New York. My buddy, Zach Kroll, who hosts the College Basketball Daily Podcast, I actually went on with him on Wednesday to recap these games. But Texas was ranked number two in the country, and they did fall on a neutral court to Illinois. Now, this is one of those, you know, this is the difference between college football and college basketball. I watched this game from start to finish. It was Texas's first loss of the year. And I'm just not going to overly freak out. Now it was Texas's first road or neutral site game of the season, which I thought was important. It was their first game. I should say out of Texas. So their two biggest games to this point. Creighton and Gonzaga were both at home. They destroyed Gonzaga. Now maybe Gonzaga just wasn't that good. Uh, and they also took care of Creighton in a game that was pretty close. And so this was their first game outside the state of Texas. And I'll say this, like, I think people want to completely overreact. They were in complete control till about three minutes left. It goes to overtime and they lose final score 85 to 78. First of all, credit Illinois, you know, Brad Underwood talked about it. Their head coach after the game, it was one of those deals um, where the team was down. He didn't know, you know, we talked about this on the college hoops daily podcast with Zach Kroll. I don't think he knew what he had in his team at Illinois, Brad Underwood, the head coach, And he got to see firsthand. Oh, we got some dogs. We got some fighters. We got some guys that are you know tough. So they get the win. Um, But I think the story was Texas. Right? Texas came in undefeated at six and one. They do lose this game, but I'm not worried about Texas. I I think they're going to be fine. The one thing that stands out: they play really good defense. They got that Chris Beard defense DNA in them. Chris Beard, of course, came from Texas Tech. If I had two kind of concerns about them, I would say the following. You know, one kid named Marcus Carr, if you remember, Marcus Carr was a high-profile transfer two years ago, second-team All-Big Ten at Minnesota, hits the portal, Kentucky's kind of after him, Kansas is kind of after him. He ends up at Texas, and it's interesting because last year he was in kind of a tough spot. He was the new guy, but everybody at Texas was new because Chris Beard had just gotten there. And he was kind of the guy that had to be the point guard and the shooting guard. He had to be the primary playmaker for everybody else, but he had to get his own shot and it just didn't work out. And so this offseason, Chris Beard brought in a kid named Tyrese Hunter, the high profile transfer from Iowa State. And I think everybody kind of like like the talk out of Texas and the people covering this team and guys that are in for their games, Jay Billis a few weeks ago or or, or for the game on Tuesday, Fran Fraschilla a few weeks ago, they've said how well these two guards play together. Well, on, on Tuesday night, I did think Marcus Carr tried to do too much, finished 3 of 14 from the field, uh, did finish with 5 assists and 2 turnovers, but it felt like he tried to do too much. That's something to keep an eye on as far as, okay, is this a problem? Is this a thing or is it a one-off deal? The other thing was Tyrese Hunter didn't play very well. This was a kid that that is on the season. Um, he is averaging 15 points per game for this Texas Longhorns team. He is, as of this point in the season, their leading scorer. He only had 10, and I do look at them and say, if he isn't great, are they a great team? They end up taking the loss. I don't know that I'm worried just yet, but it's something to keep an eye on. Speaking of, they take a loss, but I'm not worried. The Maryland Terrapins came into Tuesday night undefeated. I talked about them on Monday show. I thought they were kind of the best story in college basketball. Um, they go to Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Maryland is, of course, in the Big Ten. They lose by five. I have no crazy takeaway. I still think they are awesome. By the way, keep an eye out Maryland's next two games. They host Tennessee on, it looks like Sunday of this week. And then how about this? No, they play, they play Tennessee, excuse me, in New York on Saturday, this the 11th. I think that's Saturday. And then they host UCLA. So their next two high profile games will tell us a lot. Tennessee on a neutral floor, UCLA, uh, a few days later, that game is in Maryland. All right, before we get out of here, there is one other college basketball team that I do want to discuss, uh, and much like Texas and much like Maryland, they came into this week undefeated unlike Texas and unlike Maryland though, they did not leave this week undefeated despite playing a really tough road game. I am of course talking about my UConn Huskies who on Wednesday night, for the first time this season, went on the road to play a true road game against a Florida team. I don't know if they're great, but I think they're right around the fringes of an NCAA tournament conversation. Well, UConn, at 9-0, again, one of the few undefeated teams left, goes on the road, plays Florida, hostile environment, Odom is rocking, and UConn does what they did to the first nine opponents of their season. They absolutely destroyed them. In a game where they were like a three, three and a half point favorite, something like that, in the Betfred sports book, they go on the road and beat Florida, seventy-five to fifty-four. That is right. We are talking about a twenty-one point win in their first road game, and with it, UConn improves to ten and zero this season. And so, what I would tell you before we go further, I want to talk about this team, what they've done, all that good stuff. But what I want to say. Bottom line is this. I think most of you know, yes, I'm a UConn alum. Yes, I grew up in Connecticut. Yes, I grew up on Jim Calhoun and Gino Oriema and Skip Holtz, the football coach, before Randy Edsel the first time, not the second time. But I bring it up to say this. I'm going to say something in the coming seconds, and I'm not saying it as a biased UConn fan, a a, a resident of Connecticut, somebody who wants to see the old state school be good. I'm going to say something as an unbiased media member who loves college basketball, who watches college basketball religiously, who has seen all of the top teams multiple times now. And what I'm going to say is this. I can't sit here and definitively tell you that on December 8th, 2022, that UConn is the best team in college basketball in the 2022-2023 season. But what I can tell you, it's becoming increasingly hard to even try to make an argument for somebody else. Here is what you need to know about UConn. They are 10-0. They are ranked in the top five for the first time in forever. Here's the crazy part. Wednesday night, they improved not only to 10-0. It was their 10th straight double-digit win to open the season, the fifth straight game they were playing a Power 5 opponent, and they have only played one of those games on the road. Not saying they're the best team, Not even saying they have the best resume, but when you start 10 and 0, and you win all 10 games by double figures, and half of those games are against power six, in college football we have power five, college basketball we have power six, power six opponents, and you beat them all like a drum, I'm sorry, like I said, it's becoming increasingly harder to make the argument for anyone other than UConn, and if you haven't watched this team, man, let me just say this. Go ahead, find the few minutes to watch this team. Now, to be fair, this was kind of their their, their last pseudo-marquee game here for a while. They will play Long Island this weekend before opening Big East play uh, about 10 days from now. But if you have not watched this team, I'm just going to tell you, one, they're really good. What stands out to me about UConn, they really have about 10 or 11 guys that you throw them on a court against big-time college basketball players, they can hold their own. And UConn, it's really interesting. They're kind of a combination. They're, they're like a new age college basketball team in the sense that they really have all the pieces that you need to have success. They have a couple returnees, Andre Jackson, Jordan Hawkins, Adama Sonogo, the national uh, preseason Big East player of the year, not national, excuse me. They have a couple high level NBA draft prospects. Jordan Hawkins, I believe, as I just said, is a returnee. I believe he'll be a first round pick, was a really good role player this last year's developing into a star. They have a couple really impact freshmen. If you don't know the name Donovan Klingon, get to know him. He has been phenomenal early in the season, averaging 9.6 rebounds per game. Uh, at the PK-85 tournament in Portland, he actually won the MVP of UConn's bracket against uh, against the Florida Gators on Wednesday night. He finished the game. Now, a lot of it was easy buckets. But he finished the game in the game against Florida off of the bench. He finished Donovan Klingon with 16 points and eight boards. So you have the elite freshmen. You have the NBA level players. You have the veteran returnees. And they've also done a great job of filling the roster via the transfer portal. Their starting point guard is a kid named Tristan Newton, who came over from uh, from East Carolina. They have another player named Joey Calcaterra. They call him Joey California out there in Connecticut. He came from the university of San Diego, knew somebody on the San Diego staff who absolutely raved about this guy, Hassan Diara, Nahima lean two other high major transfers. And so they're a really interesting story because they, they have all of those elements of the modern college basketball world transfers, returnees, freshmen, veterans, seniors, but more than anything, I just think they are a great team. That plays really well together. Now, Wednesday night, they weren't necessarily at their best. It was their first road game again. But what I love about them, they just just play so well together. On the season, they're averaging 18 assists per game, just about 12 turnovers per game. So they share the ball. They're fun. They pass. They distribute. They shoot the three ball well, 37%. They have four, five different guys that average at least nine points per game, six different guys that are averaging at least eight and a half points per game. And so when I look at this team, again, I believe, listen, I'm not trying to be biased. They're the best team in college basketball that I've seen. Now, can Houston get there? Absolutely. Um, Texas, I think, is good. We just talked about them. I'll take it a step further. Arkansas, Kentucky, Creighton, there's a lot of teams that can catch them. But right now, what we've seen right now, I think it's UConn. I think it's for two reasons. One, they've done it against everybody. They did it against Oregon, a good Pac-12 team. They did it against Alabama, a really good SEC team. They did it on the road against Florida on Saturday. Three wins in the PK-85. Iowa State is ranked in the top 25 right now. And UConn, it was close for a little bit. They absolutely ran away from that game against a really good Iowa State team that entering a game this evening, as you were listening, are 7-1. and one. And so I don't mean to belabor the point. I don't mean to overdo it, but I just look at this team and I see a team that has depth, versatility. They can beat you in so many different ways. They can shoot. They can score. They can pass. They can dribble. Whatever it takes to win. They can play big. They can play small. They probably have the best backup big man in the country. Jimmy Dykes kept saying it on Wednesday night's game against Florida that Donovan Klingon would start if, if there's 350 Division I teams, he'd probably start at 340 of them. And so I don't want to over-exaggerate. I don't want to be hyperbolic. But this UConn team is really, really, really good. They take care of business. And I'm just telling you, I believe they are the best team in college basketball. All right, with that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Make sure you are subscribed on YouTube. We are closing in on 16K. Make sure, by the way, you're also subscribed on this show. By the way, if you could leave a rating and review, as I just said, it really would help, but. I think that is all for today's show. Time for me to get out of here. But that said, you know what I'm going to say. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head unblock me. Shout out to my UConn Huskers. See if they can keep it going in the coming weeks. I'll be back on Friday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Fun one coming on Friday. We'll see you then.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty,